0: We, I think, as brown women, don't realize that we have the permission to laugh. We've been trained our whole life to be serious, to be seen and not heard, and that if jokes are going to be made, the men will make the jokes about women. So I think that when people see me, and for the first time I make light of Indian men, Indian uncles, you know, the jokes go the other way, it's like a little bit of an aha moment because we've seen other cultures do it. I'm
1: Sangeeta Pillai and this is The Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. This award-winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos sex, sexuality, periods, mental health, menopause, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some inspiring women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. My guest on this episode is Zarna Gark. If you haven't seen her TikTok videos, which literally have millions of views, you're missing out. Zarna is the funny brown auntie we all wish we had. As Zarna herself says, she's an Indian immigrant wife, mom, lawyer, screenwriter, producer, stand-up comedian and overbearing Indian auntie. She's hilarious, of course. I keep watching Zarna's videos and laughing out loud. But what struck me most during our interview is how she embodies the best bits of being an Indian auntie. You know, all those solid, practical bits of advice, that no-nonsense chat, chat that we all need. I hope you enjoy listening to Zarna Garg as much as I did.
0: You know, uh, I lost my mom very early in life, and there were a lot of ups and downs, a lot of topsy-turvy curves that life throws at you. Everybody has to deal with them. But I found humor to be one of the weapons that I could use as a way to integrate into society by myself. You know, I was alone a lot. I found it as an easy way to connect with people. Like when people didn't know what to do with me, making them laugh made it easy. They were always like, let's include her because she'll keep Mm, everything mm. nice and light, you know. And I did. And I learned that very early in life. So I've been doing some version of comedy my whole life.
1: Without even calling it comedy, right?
0: Without calling it? Who knew? Who knew white people do this as a job? (laughs) I mean, it never occurred to me that you're gonna get on stage and like trash your president and your prime minister and all of that, and that's a job. Like you can get paid for that.
1: <laughs> People actually pay you money for this.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, I would never have crossed my mind. I mean, to be really completely honest, even though I'm an Indian woman living in New York for you know 25 years, the thought that I could do that never crossed my mind. It's
1: funny, right? Because we never see that. So then how do you imagine that you can do that? So I completely get that in a different context. So I guess you've gone from there kind of making people laugh all your life and that helping you through kind of tough situations in your own life to becoming the funny brown mom. How did that happen? How did that transition happen?
0: I mean, it was just really natural. My kids used to have friends over all the time. They still do. And those kids always laughed. At Whatever. I'm always yelling at the kids about their grades and what they're eating and who they're dating or not dating. No one needs to date, in my opinion. So it it was a constant stream of like wanting to hang out at at Indian auntie's house because I made them laugh. Like everything I said somehow was funny. (laughs) Even when I tried to be scary, I was funny. I was like, no, I'm trying to yell at you guys. Don't laugh. Guys, don't (laughs) laugh. You see this butcher knife in my hand? You need to be scared. Nothing I did was scary to them. It was mostly all like, you know, oh, auntie's being funny. And it really came, every step has been a natural evolution. You know, when I was thinking of creating my social media profile, I was like, what's the most literal way in which people know me? They know me as the funny brown mom. And that's how it started. I mean, at that time, too, the thought of doing stand-up comedy had not really crossed my mind. I thought I'll do some funny things on social media, make people laugh on social media. That would be the end of it. Mm. But each step led to the next step, which is how, you know, which is how we are here today. I guess this
1: that's really lovely to hear because, you know, when you imagine like a, a successful comedian, you imagine someone who's like done the circuits for many years and kind of, Hone their game and this and that and the other, and so this is so heartening to hear that you've been kind of, sort of doing this all your life at home, then with your kids, and then you've naturally transitioned to be a successful comedian. That's that's really nice to hear. Actually, I really like that.
0: I mean, I think so. I don't know. Success is what you define it as, but I'm working. I'm a definitely a working comedian. I'm professional. I get booked for a lot of gigs, you know. Now I'm learning, and you know, I've been a businesswoman uh, my whole life. So I approach comedy from a business angle. Like, I've never had that, oh, I just do it for the art. Like, I'm not that person. I was never that person. So even when I'm doing the comedy, I, I have to think, what's the audience for it? Who's gonna tune in? Who's gonna, you know? And in some weird way, it's helped me navigate this road i think a little more smoothly because otherwise you can get lost there's so many things you can do that if you don't have a focus you're gonna be like just frazzled you're gonna have a million pieces in the air and i naturally had an inclination against that type of life and i think that that helped me and today when i help comedians you know they ask me for what i think or my advice for whatever it's worth because i i don't know much myself But for whatever it's worth, I always tell them, have some sort of focus, like what you want to do, besides just being a comedian. Because there are people who, for example, I know TikTokers who only do TikTok. They do nothing else. And when they go that hard in one avenue, they see a lot of success. So you have to know what that is for you. And, you know, I was lucky that I had a business instinct that guided the way the whole time. Can you talk
1: about that a little bit? So I'm very curious as a creative person. So how does that business instinct help you as a comedian or as a creative person?
0: I mean, I'm going to tell you in a very crass way because it's going to sound crass in an artistic environment. But I'm very clear. My time has a lot of value. I I have limited number of hours in a day, for example. So whatever I allocate my time to needs to have some sort of revenue generation at least a path to revenue generation because otherwise there are 10 million things i could be doing all day and i don't have the luxury to do that i have three kids in addition to my work i have a whole life so i mean i have i rarely get to see my kids now because i work seven nights a week so even just having that clarity that whatever you're committing your time to has to have some sort of revenue attached to it You'll be surprised how freeing that is because you just say no to everything else that doesn't fit that space. And that keeps the space clear for the few projects that that are serious projects that want to align with you and you want to align with. And I think that women are are particularly weak in that space. Anything, you know, anybody has a charity, anybody's got something, anybody's trying, we want to help everybody. And I want to help everybody, but the best way I can help somebody else is by first being successful myself. Otherwise, we're not helping anybody. I almost feel tough when I have to say no a lot. And it's not because I don't want to help, it's because you're not going to be helped by me if I'm not successful to begin with. Do you know what i mean and women get guilted very easily i've seen it like the men don't think twice i see the male comedians around me they won't even think about doing half the things that the women will be like okay if you really wanna you know fine i'll do it for free fine your charity is my charity no male comedian i know would even go down that road but the women fall for it every time so now i'm particularly sensitive to it because we have to stand up for ourselves and say that if we're doing this, we need to get paid. And until we do that for ourselves, we're not going to get paid.
1: Absolutely, a hundred percent. And you know, in a funny way, this is pure brown mom logic at its best. You know, like if you think about what our moms or grandmothers would say, it's like, okay, yeah, paisa It sounds crass when you say it like that, but actually, exactly. that lens that you've just put it makes everything so much clearer.
0: We've asked men that the brown moms have asked their husbands, the men in the family who worked. If you look at a traditional setup, well, you were gone all day. How much did you earn? So then we have to hold ourselves to the same standard. I think.
1: As South Asian women, we've been trained to be people pleasers from the minute we're born. We've been taught to never ask for things because if we actually dared to ask what would people think of us would they find us too demanding this cultural conditioning affects every single area of our lives we struggle sometimes to ask for what is due to us whether that's asking for a pay rise or for an orgasm this is something that i still struggle with yes i've got a voice now and i run a strong south asian feminist network but asking for what i really need whether that's being paid for my time or for my expertise that's still very hard for me but i'm determined to change this i'm not going to let my upbringing determine the rest of my life something you do really well sadna is raise a lot of serious themes or issues within south asian culture with your comedy so you know all the sketches you do about telling your your son who to marry versus who you know who your daughter should marry the two girls that you're advising in the cafe i think or the restaurant and like auntiey who should we you know yeah 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 and and i think what you said was like oh you're getting whatever a's in your um scores but that's too much you know like dumb it down so i love that lens of like making a joke about something but actually that's something really serious within our culture how do you get to that i
0: mean look we've you've been part of this culture i have been our whole lives we've been watching it go down now i just put my own humorous spin to it there is some truth to it there's some exaggeration it's a little satire, but it's a little like, you know, let's all think about this a different way. So uh, it comes naturally to me. I don't even think about it, to be really honest. When I'm sitting with my kids or whatever, I I think of what my elders would have said to me or what I've heard. And I try to spin it in a more modern way and be like, how can I position this so that the average person looking at my Instagram or my YouTube will be like oh this is what she's trying to do sometimes i get a lot of hate because people think i'm being serious <laughs> you know but that's part of the game you know i take it as a compliment i'm like if you really believed what i'm saying that's like I, I must be a really good actress Yeah. <laughs> what kind of
1: hate do you get
0: you know just like how regressive is this woman and you know the usual she looks oh my this God, way really it's not serious i'm a comedian i mean my bio everywhere says i'm a comedian but people they get so caught up in my words you know when i say things like you're a girl dumb yourself down like that the that those words evoke such strong emotions in people that they forget that i'm not being serious i'm just i'm spoofing yes but I take it as a compliment. I'm like, I must be really good. (laughs) If they
1: believe this.
0: (laughs) If they fell for it. (laughs) And have
1: you seen like that it's helped women in any way? Like, you know, just seeing someone like you being the auntie, wearing the salwar kameez, standing in front of people and talking. That I'm sure it's
0: hugely inspirational. Listen, we, I think as brown women, don't realize that we have the permission to laugh. We've been trained our whole life to be serious, to be seen and not heard, and that if jokes are going to be made, the men will make the jokes about women. Because it, brown men traditionally have a slightly more fragile ego, if it's possible, than all men in general. <laughs> so I think that when people see me, and for the first time I make light of Indian men, Indian uncles, you know, the jokes go the other way. It's like a little bit of an aha moment because we've seen other cultures do it. Like if you watch, like Everybody Loves Raymond, has a mother-in-law. You know, mother-in-law jokes across different cultures have a Jewish culture, been around for 50, 100 years. But why haven't we done it? It's because Indian women have not believed that we have a right to laugh at it. Everything is so serious all the time. So I think that when they watch me for the first time, I get told all the time, it's like first time they feel like, oh, we could laugh at it too. It's not a big deal. You know, it's not that serious. It's we're all the same as the Italian mother-in-law, as a Jewish grandmother. We're all the same people at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think
1: a lot of stuff that we've experienced as South Asian women, brown women, there's so much seriousness in our lives. Like, have to get married, have to have children, you know, do your, become an engineer, whatever, produce the children, you know, earn a certain amount of money. It's very, very, very serious. So I think to have an opportunity where you're like, actually, we're doing all of this and actually it's quite funny if
0: you think about it in that way is hugely liberating, I think. I think so. I think, what has all that anxiety gotten us? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> you know, like, and honestly, it's, what a loss. If you don't enjoy your life at all, the moments that you do have, what a loss. So I, I feel like, yes, you should be serious. Listen, I'm an Indian woman. So I'm not like, oh, I'm not asking my kids to become artists, to be clear. They're not allowed to be artists. But like have fun while you're doing the math. Yeah, 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 Have
1: fun while you're doing
0: the math. <laughs> <laughs> you you for your make
1: jokes. <laughs> while you study for your engineering degree, have some fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I really love that. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was... You know, like, within our culture, as women grow older, we're supposed to, like, go away quietly and, like, just live for our kids and be ready to die. You know, like, that's pretty much the trajectory. Yeah. And to see a woman like you kind of stand up there, you're in your 40s, right, and make light, make jokes, have a successful career, you know, be the auntie and, you know, like, be who you are is incredible, I think.
0: I listen. I think that, like you said, we're expected to just fade into oblivion. And that expectation also comes with this assumption that we're going to all be able to afford to fade into oblivion. Somebody's going to take care of us our husbands, our children, our sons, our daughters. And that's not reality today. You, we have to exist. I mean, part of why I work as hard as I do is because. I'm very aware that I have to have my own means and life and a way to, I'm not depending on my kids to take care of me and nor do I want to. You know, the idea that we should, that, that fadeaway theory existed 100 years ago when you gave birth to 10 kids and then they all took care of you. Who's living that life today? You know what I mean? And it's completely outrageous, especially, I mean, this topic that you just raised, I'm particularly sensitive to it. Because this pandemic in the last two years completely wiped mothers out. Moms were the most vulnerable group that got completely destroyed. We lost our jobs. We quit our jobs so we could stay home and take care of our kids. And do you think a single person anywhere is going to step up and help us? No. All the money, especially in America, all the new jobs that got created, 90% went to men. So I am now a very vocal and fierce advocate in that space that women have to stop acting like they're going to like live on other people's handouts we have to uh, this is a big reason why I work as hard as I do i'm i'm out 6 or 7 nights a week performing somewhere because you have to be unrelenting otherwise no one's going to help you that message has to be clear that moms also need money and moms need to work and women as they age cannot just be, the, the plan cannot be the men will take care of us, whether it's your dad or your husband or your boyfriend or whatever. That That's like archaic. Who lives that life anymore? And more importantly, who wants to?
1: Exactly. And I think that's the bigger point. Like who wants to like fade away into the background? Like no. you don't, I don't.
0: And we have so much to give and so yes. much to contribute. Yes. So, but the only way, the, the thing that I will say is that as an Asian woman, especially, we're conditioned to wait to be invited. And, and I'll tell you that that's not how business works. Business is war. You got to just barrel through. If you have something to say, you got to just say it. No one's going to make space for you. It's an overcrowded space. Everybody's trying to win. So that, as, as a cultural piece, I will say that I've learned that I'm just going to have to say it. Because women in particular will be, oh, I don't know. Like, all that I don't know hasn't gotten us very far. So true. (laughs) So true. And it's almost like we're programmed to sort of just step back and say, oh,
1: someone else is going to ask me. Minimize ourselves.
0: Yeah. And to minimize ourselves. Don't say anything. Don't be too loud. Don't be this. Don't be that. And like, you know what? Honestly, none of it has helped us or served us well in life. And I'm over it, uh, completely over it. And I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by really badass women comedians <laughs> who are over it as well. So they encourage me and they give me all kinds of empowerment to like barrel through.
1: And the mom thing is the other thing, isn't it? Like as Asian women, you're brought up to sort of be the self-sacrificing mother. That's yeah. what we've seen in films. Yeah. That's what we get told that women live for the kids and, you know, all of this stuff. It's, and- it's cruel,
0: if you think about it, the whole ideology behind it is is laced with cruelty. To think that a woman should just give up all her own desires, her own ambitions, her own wishes, why? Because her kids' wishes take precedence, is completely cruel. No human being should live like that, man or woman or anybody, you know? So I, I'm over it. Like, honestly, I tell everybody, I go, yes, you need to be there for your kids, no doubt. But so does the parent, the other parent. And so, and and honestly, I think the kids need to be there for their moms. My kids help me so much. And I don't feel bad about it. They should help me. I was there for 16 years taking care of every little detail. My daughter comes to all my shows. She films. These kids are so good with technology. They film, they edit, they do. Even if it's a small gig or a big gig, I try to involve my kids because I think that they need to know that we're all part of the family and that means we all give and take. It cannot just be mom gives and you take. I don't think that's right for anybody. So I think that old notion is just cruel. And then to, ma- to glorify it as if that's a good thing.
1: Yes, I'm so glad to hear you say this and it's so refreshing. Because around this whole mother thing, there's also this kind of like, oh, but we can't say that. Oh, but, you know, what will happen? You know, it's rubbish. And to hear you say that is is incredible.
0: I'm so over it. Like, I want to live. I want other women to live. I want moms to feel like they have a life. Like, somehow, when we chose to become mothers, like, that meant that was the end of our existence. And I don't think any one of us signed up for that. So I, I we need to we need to fix that I believe. I believe it needs to be fixed. I
1: absolutely absolutely yeah. agree and I think women like you are starting to fix it I think because that's the conversation I don't hear too much. I think a lot of women listening to you on this podcast are going to go like yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's something that no one's talked about.
0: Listen, I think they should all go yeah and I'm telling you they can all do something. That's the beauty of social media it's enabled women who are home, who can't leave for whatever reason, or have all these eccentric skill sets or whatever, there is now a place for them to bring their thing to the table and try to find their tribe and their world and monetize it in some way. It can all be done just from being home if you're not comfortable leaving. But everybody can, and you know what? The easiest thing we can do, I tell everybody, I'm like, if you don't know what to do for yourself, The easiest thing you can do is help other women who are already doing it. And that's a start. Follow them, like their work, amplify their voices until you figure out what to do. Because then, you know, then this machine keeps moving a little bit faster. Did
1: you have any auntiesies in your life when you were growing up that were inspiring?
0: I had a lot of strong women in my life. But they were all strong in that traditional South Asian context. You know, they were strong matriarchs. They ran the household in an efficient way. To be really honest, no one really broke the mold in that way, in the way that I now see women doing. And I do think that social media has had a big role in that. We see each other a lot more because of Instagram, Facebook. We dominate women dominate social media suddenly we're all like oh you could do that in cooking you could do that with sewing like we didn't know all these things could be done so it's really created this new network so i've always had strong women in my life they were strong to the extent that there was no money involved there was no income involved and i'm trying to change that we need money to live what are we thinking of course you know i don't want to have to ask my son, and no one should have to.
1: My mother never had her own money. Women didn't have their own money. This is what I saw as a young girl growing up in a traditional Indian household. Every week, my mother would have to ask my father for money, hands outstretched so she could buy groceries, to feed us kids, to send us to school. In the world that I grew up in, men had the money and men had the power. My mother could never dream of leaving her abusive marriage because she had no money. What would she do? How would she feed us? For my mother, no money meant Staying put and putting up with her husband's violence every single night. No money meant no choice. Talking about South Asian women, you know, there's... We've all, I mean, I certainly have, and a lot of women I know have, grown up with this immense pressure to like, I don't know, find a job, get married, have kids, do X, be a certain kind of mother... Have a, and now have a certain kind of body. You know, all of this, there's so much pressure. Do you think your comedy helps South Asian women feel less alone in that sense?
0: I mean, I would hope so. That's what I'm told. Because like I'm a notoriously bad cook, for example. <laughs> my cooking videos are all cooking bloopers. <laughs> I don't know how to cook. I mean, I, I can cook, but, you know, honestly, I don't like it. I don't want to spend my whole day in the kitchen and i don't want to spend my week obsessing about ingredients and which store is open and closed like it's just not my thing even though i'm a mom and i love my kids and i love all of that but like it's not my thing so i do a lot of like stuff in that space and i get dms all the time about how liberated women feel when they hear another indian woman who's like i don't want to cook Eat a peanut butter sandwich, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Eat a banana, no one died, you know, eating a banana. It's all good. So I try to find things that are traditional uh, weaknesses for our culture in particular. And I try to make light of those. And I hope that that, that helps other people, you know, take that pressure off them themselves a little bit. But it comes from a real place. Like I don't sit here and strategize. It was part of my life too. And I'm trying to get out of it. And I'm hoping that me getting out of it is going to help other people get out of it.
1: And there is a real honesty to all your comedy. And I've always wondered like, oh, I wonder if Zarna kind of thinks about these things before she kind of records it or it's just happening. It feels like it's just happening.
0: I'll tell you that's the beauty and the danger of social media. When you overthink something, it doesn't work. The reason my videos have, I have videos with 10, 15, and multiple, not one, two, I have at least 10 videos that are over five, 10 million views each. The reason that happens is because it's truly straight out of the heart, real moments. I've tried, I've sat there and scripted, like I should say this, and then you should say this, and I should say this. I guarantee you those videos don't even have 5,000 views. And then some video where my luggage just is like overpacked, and I'm stressed out, and the whole thing is exploding at the airport, because once again I tried to like get my five extra pounds in <laughs> for free, you know, which every immigrant mom that I know of can can attest to. But that moment was hundred percent genuine and real, and for that reason, it popped. I don't know how people know it's real. I couldn't tell you how. When I post it, sometimes I'm embarrassed because it's my worst looking moments. I'm actually traveling with three kids. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. We've been in an airplane for hours. I was stuck in an airport, whatever. And yet, those are the moments that pop because people know. People
1: do know. That that's real. People absolutely know. So
0: now I've learned not to overthink it. Like if I'm feeling something in the moment, I create it and I let it go and I let the people decide. I mean, I've seen other creators create very artistic, beautiful pieces and they do well too. I just don't know how they do it. Like I'm not able to do it. I
1: think your thing is very much what you're doing, which is shooting life as it happens and kind of pointing to the things that you were saying or within the culture. I know these things exist and I've experienced them and I'm just going to riff and just shoot. And I think it's that raw homemade quality to your work is what is really, really amazing about it. Because we've all seen it. You know, we've all grown up with it.
0: I think so. And I mean, I hope like God, some videos I've put out, I look so bad. I can't even believe I'm putting it out. And then it goes viral. I I don't get it. I myself, I'm like, I don't get it. Are they not seeing how bad I look? And no one seems mm, to care. Because
1: they're laugh, they're too busy laughing at what you said. They
0: yeah, I think they're so caught up in whatever's happening, you know, like how to make pasta or like how Indian people make chai. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Was, now I've become more relaxed. I really I shoot it the way it comes to my mind. And, you know, if somebody doesn't like it, it's easy enough to unfollow. <laughs>
1: No, absolutely. I think one of my favorite ones of uh, of your videos that I've seen is the Valentine's Day one. I loved it. I watched it so many times. I sent it to so many friends because it's in a nub of what how we are with romance a, in our culture. you know, that whole thing of like you take take out all the sexy lingerie from the from the bag and and you're leaving the tag so you can return in the next day. And the other thing where I say, oh, you reduce the mortgage or whatever, it was like 5%. Like, oh, my God, yeah, I love you so much. You know, I just thought it was so brilliant because it is so true to who we are. Like, that's how we are.
0: I mean, I think so. Like, I don't know. I don't know any Indian woman who's I'm sure they're out there because, you know, once this podcast dropped, you'll have 10,000 people saying I love red bras. Generally, it doesn't seem to be a very Indian way to live. Like, I don't know. Am I crazy? No, 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 no. It isn't. We were practically yeah. in our romantic endeavors. We were. We
1: were. We absolutely you know? were.
0: So it felt right to me. I was like, what would get me excited? <laughs> what <laughs> mortgage. would it take? <laughs> yeah, if my mortgage payment went down, I would be very excited.
1: <laughs> absolutely love that. Tell me a little bit about how your family are within the kind of work you create your husband your kids how do they kind of form part of this
0: listen they i mean this whole life is a revelation to all of us it was not really fully expected but they've been saying i'm funny my whole life you know so there's been something about this that makes sense, but then also doesn't make sense because the scale at which it's, it's going now. But they're very supportive. And my husband knows that I was home all these years, taking care of him, the kids. He is the most supportive. He's like, you do what you want to do, what you need to do. You know, it's enough years spent He's very, you know, emotionally mature, and I'm sure I had a hand in that. By the way, not my mother-in-law. <laughs> before, like now, she's gonna be like, "Yeah, I raised that." No, that was that was living with me for f- all these years that did that, uh, and I think my kids have a lot of empathy for the fact that mom put her dreams on hold, her job on hold. Like I was a I was a working lawyer before I had kids, and I love that life. I mean who wouldn't right you get up you get dressed you're with other adults you're doing meaningful work and then suddenly we got hit with like oh my god like this kid how are we gonna raise this kid by ourselves in new york with no family around like the reality is so different from what you imagine you're signing up for and i think my kids have a lot of empathy for the fact that i was there for so many years so they and they are enjoying the ride also They're loving learning about what, oh my, everything is like, oh my God, this is how this works. This is how this works. And I think that also it's a gender imbalance thing. I have two boys. I want them to learn that it's totally fine to help the woman. We need to do that too as moms. I think enough moms have put their sons on a pedestal in our culture. So even to change that, like they need to learn that, yes, you're gonna carry mom's bags and that's okay
1: absolutely i've seen so much of that growing up the boys
0: yeah there was somehow we were all trained like no 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 they can't do anything as if they're so fragile like a faber yeah yeah. you know (laughs) no you're gonna do it and honestly they love it you know what the biggest revelation has been i do a lot of live shows right mother-in-law i make fun of indian men indian uncles the biggest revelation i've had is how much the men enjoy it hmm because it turns out that they're not as precious as we've believed them to be.
1: Or oh, we've been told that they are.
0: We've been told that they are. They laugh the loudest. My husband laughs the loudest at jokes I make about his mother. <laughs> it's not a big deal. He's a very smart man. His mother, my mother in law, is a very, very intelligent woman. Everybody involved knows it's a joke. And now when I think about it, I'm like, what a shame yeah, we haven't done this before. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've been so caught up in this
1: story we've been told, you know, that boys must be like this, girls might be like this. And we've forgotten, I think, like you rightly say, that it doesn't serve the men either.
0: I think it really doesn't. Like, who wants to be that? Exactly. I, like. They too want the the women in their lives to be happy, productive, fulfilled in different ways. So that, if anything, has been the biggest revelation for me. I used to think in the beginning of my comedy journey that a few moms will come and watch my show if I'm lucky. But the amount of men that show up, I'm constantly blown away. The more I poke at them, the more they seem to enjoy it. (laughs) I
1: love that. I really (laughs) like that. Growing up, I learned that men were more important than women. And I saw this at every mealtime, where men would eat first. I remember having to serve food to my male relatives who were visiting. It still makes my blood boil. The male relative would sit at the table expectantly, waiting for the food to be served to him. The women would serve his meal. He would eat, sometimes leaving a mess on the dining table. Once he'd eaten, he'd just get up and leave the room, off to watch TV or talk to people. Never once would he offer to even pick up his plate. The women at the house, me included, were expected to clean up after him. Picking up his dirty plate, because that was considered a woman's job. It used to make me so mad, and still does even today. What about um, non-South Asian audiences? Do they get? Do they get the jokes? Hundred percent.
0: It turns out that we're all the same.
1: <laughs> surprise, surprise.
0: <laughs> it's just like a slightly different shade of pink or red. It's all the same. Like, you know, I made the, my biggest breakout joke on TikTok was I've never said I love you to my husband. We don't do that, right? Indian people, we don't go around saying I love you all yeah, day long. Yeah, of course we don't do that. When I put that joke up, I could not believe how many people from different parts of the world said we don't do it either. I mean, African countries, we don't do it either. South American countries, we don't do it either. It almost became in my mind is I love you just an American thing. Is it just a European thing? Is it that, you know, what is it? So I've kind of dug into that space a lot more now. It's been one of the big spaces that unites all the various different cultures, but we're all the same. Like if you're a parent, you're a parent, it doesn't matter what culture, you know. And all moms feel the same way about raising kids. And so there's a lot of common ground. And I've only discovered that as I've gone along in the comedy journey.
1: So. you've had huge success from where I stand and you might say actually success depends you know we can have that conversation but I think it's incredible what you've done and it's incredible what you've done from the lens that you've done it in you know like an Indian mom Auntie Z a brown you know like all of those and I think huge huge amount of respect for that because I think you've created a point of view that didn't exist before in, in that space I think how do you balance all of this how do you balance doing seven, seven nights a week? I you're don't. Like...
0: Balls are falling all the time. Like <laughs> I'm dropping stuff all the time. And the way to balance it is to accept that things will go wrong. And it, it is what it is, you know. Again, another thing, I don't see the men beating themselves up over it.
1: No, they don't.
0: You know, my husband has worked like insane hours for his whole career. I never saw him feel bad about missing a parent meeting or this or that. But somehow women take everything to be life and death. Yeah,
1: so true. (laughs) And now I'm
0: much more chill about it. I'm like, yeah, I didn't make it. I mean, I don't know what to say. I'm trying to live. I'm trying to work. I'm doing the best I can. And the the balance is a myth, in my opinion. I think the bigger solution is acceptance. It's accepting that things are going to go wrong. You're going to forget stuff. And that's okay, as long as you keep moving forward, you know. And simplifying, I can't afford to be complicated in my life. We don't have the means to make roti, sabzi, dal, chawal every night. I, You know what? Honestly, no one needs to eat all of that every night. Yeah, exactly. My doctor will tell you, no one needs to eat so much food every night. That's a whole other conversation. So true. So in some ways, the simplicity has also helped. You know, we we live with very simple agenda and plans, and, and that's how I'm able to do anything. Otherwise, I would still be stuck in the kitchen like any number of millions of brown women who feel like they have to. Like at breakfast, they're planning lunch. At lunch, they're planning dinner. You have to bring yourself out of it and be like, yeah, just eat a banana, like I said. Eat a
1: banana. <laughs> Nobody yeah. died. Nobody died. <laughs> from eating a banana. <laughs> Absolutely hear you. I mean, I, I see this in my own extended family. And some of the conversations, you know, I'll have an aunt who say, so what did you what did you make for uh, breakfast? What did you make for lunch? And I'm like, porridge. or whatever and then you can see them looking at you like what you know does this woman not cook well I
0: understand because they've been raised to believe that their self-worth is tied to that breakfast so you have to kind of disconnect the two to move forward you know like what you make for breakfast is not an indication of your worth as a human being but I understand I mean listen this has been around in our culture for so long that it's going to take time to get out of it it's not going to happen overnight. But I snapped out of it though. You know, when you hate cooking as much as I do, <laughs> it's easier to snap out of it.
1: I reckon this whole being a comedian thing is just so you don't have to cook.
0: Um, uh, it's just, actually, it's a lot deeper. It's just so I don't have to be with my kids. I found the one place on earth where kids aren't actually allowed. Most comedy clubs are 18 plus. I was like, I perfect. To... I'll take that job. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I can see why. I can see why. Zanna, I'm sure you've got like a million amazing things coming up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about whatever gigs or things you've got coming up?
0: Yeah, I mean, I am actually kicking off a national tour in America. Uh, I'm going to be in Colorado Springs, in Arlington, Virginia, in Chicago, Arkansas. And I'm hoping to come to England Yay. this summer. I'd love to I come know see th- you. I, I'm abs- I can't wait to be there. I have a lot of people who've reached out to me and said, come to England. But I'm doing a lot in the US uh, now, nationally. And of course, all my social media is always being updated. So uh, I invite all your listeners to join. You know, And I like to support back. I, I try my best to be there for whoever I can. And uh, that's the news for now. I mean... We keep moving.
1: We keep moving and how? My God, Zanna, you're you're an absolute powerhouse. Thank you so much for being in Masala Podcast. It's been such a joy.
0: No, thank you so much for having me. You're such a calming, sweet presence. I wish you all the best. And I wish all the women, especially who are listening and who are feeling stuck, that the only way to be unstuck is to push your way out. No one's going to do it for you. So you have to find a way However tiny that that door is, you need to stick your finger in and start pushing that door open for yourself.
1: I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories. To hear inspiring South Asian women challenging patriarchy. A space to be exactly the people we want to be and still feel like we belong in our culture and our community. And ultimately, a space where we feel less alone. I'd love to hear from you. So do get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai. Produced by Anushka Tate. Opening music by Sunny Robertson.
0: Be sharam, the means, Gandhi. Hi hi, bad Betty.